Section thirty nine of the Underground Railroad, Part four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. The Underground Railroad, Part four by William Still. Section thirty nine. Pamphlet and Letters, Part two. Frederick Douglass. It is known that our much valued friend Frederick Douglass left this country suddenly for America last spring, chiefly on account of the decease of a most beloved little girl. Till quite recently he was intending to return to England very soon. But this is for the present delayed, on account of increasing and pressing engagements in the United States. We take the liberty of quoting an extract from one of his letters. Rochester, July 2, 1860 You hold up before me the glorious promises contained in the sacred scriptures. These are needed by none more than by those who have presumed to put themselves to the work of accomplishing the abolition of slavery in this country. There is scarcely one single interest, social, moral, religious, or physical, which is not in some way connected with this stupendous evil. On the side of the oppressor there is power, now as in the earlier days of the world. I find much comfort in the thought that I am but a passenger on board of this ship of life. I have not the management committed to me. I am to obey orders and leave the rest to the great captain, whose wisdom is able to direct. I have only to go on in his fear and in his spirit uttering with pen and tongue the whole truth against slavery, leaving to him the honor and the glory of destroying this mighty work of the devil. I long for the end of my people's bondage, and would give all I possess to witness the great jubilee. But God can wait, and surely I may. If he, whose pure eyes cannot look upon sin with allowance, can permit the day of freedom to be deferred, I certainly can work and wait. The times are just now a little brighter, but I will walk by faith, not by sight, for all grounds of hope founded on external appearance have thus far signally failed and broken down under me. Twenty years ago, slavery did not really seem to be rapidly hastening to its fall. But ten years ago, the Fugitive Slave Bill, and the efforts to enforce it, changed the whole appearance of the struggle. Anti-slavery in an abolition sense has been ever since battling against heavy odds, both in church and state. Nevertheless, God reigns, and we need not despair, and I for one do not. I know, at any rate, no better work for me, during the brief period I am to stay on the earth, than is found in pleading the cause of the downtrodden and the dumb. Since I reached home, I have had satisfaction of passing nearly a score on to Canada only two women among them all. The constant meeting with these whip-scarred brothers will not allow me to become forgetful of the four million still in bonds. Our friends may, perhaps, remember that the cost of Frederick Douglass's paper is but five shillings per annum, with the exception of a penny per month at the door for postage. It is a very interesting publication, and amply repays the trifling outlay. F.D. will be glad to increase the number of his British readers, 
he also continues gratefully to receive any aid from this country for the assistance of the fugitives who are so often taking refuge under his roof another letter of his remarks when speaking of them they usually tarry with us only during the night and are forwarded to canada by the morning train we give them supper lodging and breakfast pay their expenses and give them half a dollar over fugitive slaves we next turn to the communication of another warm friend to the fugitives in the state of blank the following is an extract from a recent letter of his we have had within the last week just nineteen underground passengers fifteen came last saturday between the hours of six in the morning and eleven at night three only were females wives of men in the parties the rest were all able-bodied young men that they were all likely looking it needed no southern eye to decide and that their hearts burned within them for freedom was apparent in every look of their countenances but it is only of one arrival that my time will allow me to speak on the present occasion this consisted of two married couples and two single young men they had been a week on the way to accomplish the desired object they could see no way so feasible as to cross the blank bay by inquiry they gained instructions as to the direction they should steer to strike for the lighthouse on the opposite shore consequently they invested six dollars in a little boat and at once prepared themselves for this most fearful adventure to the water and their little bark they stealthily repaired and off they started for some distance they rode not far from the shore being in sight of land they were spied by the ever watchful slaveholder or someone not favorable to their escape hence a small boat containing four white men soon put out after the fugitives on overhauling them stern orders were given to surrender the boat the runaways were in was claimed if not the party themselves with determined words the fugitives declared that the boat was their own property and that they would not give it up they said they would die before they would do so at this sign of resistance one of the white men with an oar struck the head of one of the fugitives which knocked him down at the same moment another white man seized the chain of their boat and the struggle became fearful in the extreme for a few moments however the same spirit that prompted the efforts to be free moved one of the heroic black bondmen to apply the oar to the head of one of their pursuers which straightway laid him prostrate the whites like old apollyon in the pilgrim's progress at this decided indication that their precious lives were might not be spared if they did not avail themselves of an immediate retreat suddenly parted from their antagonists not being contented however thus to give up the struggle after getting some yards off they fired a loaded gun in the midst of the fugitives peppering two of them considerably about the head and face and one about the arms as the shot was light they were not much damaged however at any rate not discouraged not forgetting which way to steer across the bay in the direction of the lighthouse they rode for that point with all possible speed but their bark being light and the wind in rough water by no means manageable ere they reached the desired shore they were carried a considerable distance off their course in the immediate vicinity of a small island leaving their boat they went upon the island the women sick and their repose without food utterly ignorant of where they were for one whole day and night without being able to conjecture when or where they should find free land for which they had so long and fervently prayed however after thus resting feeling compelled to start on again they set off on foot 
they had not walked a mile ere providentially they fell in with an oysterman and a little boy waiting for the tide with him they ventured to converse and soon felt that he might be trusted with at least a hint of their condition accordingly they made him acquainted in part with their piteous story and he agreed to bring them within fifteen miles of blank for twenty-five dollars all the capital they had being as good as the word he did not leave them fifteen miles off the city but brought them directly to it happy how happy they were at finding themselves in the hands of friends and surrounded with flattering prospects of soon reaching canada you may imagine but i could not describe footnote in those days the writer in giving information enjoined the utmost secrecy considering that the cause might be sadly damaged simply by being inadvertently exposed even by friends thousands of miles away the pro-slavery mob spirit at that time was also very rampant in philadelphia and other northern cities threatening abolitionists and all concerned in the work of aiding the slave End footnote. thanks to the benevolent bounty of several kind donors we had lately the pleasure of sending a few pounds to the writer of the foregoing letter we omit his name and residence he belongs like douglas to the proscribed race who would not help these generous-hearted men who are devoting their whole energies to the well-being of the crushed and downtrodden we are the more encouraged to send out this little sheet made up of thanks and requisitions because occasional inquiries are reaching us out of what can we do for the slave we are hearing but little about him and do not know how to work on his behalf allow us to say to one and all who may be thus circumstanced that we do not look for great things but if they can levy a shilling a year from all who feel for the injured bondman these little sums will soon mount up and prove of incalculable service to those who are struggling for freedom as to the special destiny of these shillings or half-crowns let the subscribers choose for themselves and their kind aid will be sure to be truly welcome to the party receiving it we do not ask for such contributions to be forwarded through newcastle unless this is a matter of convenience to those concerned if there be other modes of sending to the united states within the reach of the friends who receive this paper let them by all means be used we are always happy to receive aid for the fugitives or for any other anti-slavery cause and consider it no trouble at all to send it on but do not wish to be monopolizing as far as kentucky is concerned that state being distant and mob law rampant there we shall continue gratefully to receive assistance on its behalf and to avail ourselves of the accustomed mode of reaching it thus having been proved to be both safe and easy free labor produce and lastly as to the long-prized principle to our minds the very alphabet of anti-slavery action the importance of encouraging the growth and consumption of free produce rather than that raised by the sweat and blood of the bondmen our convictions of the righteousness of this course are as strong as they ever were but perhaps we hoped too much relied too fondly on the conscientiousness of the british anti-slavery public and supposing that a sufficient number of individuals could be found prepared to make a slight sacrifice for humanity's sake and to keep the oppressed continually in mind by a little untiring painstaking we hardly supposed that the most strenuous efforts in this direction would be enough to affect the british market but we did believe and believe still that not only is there a consistency and a preference for free produce but that this preference is encouraging to the free laborer 
and that, humanly speaking, nothing is more calculated to nerve his hand and heart for vigorous effort. The principle of abstinence from slave produce may be smiled at, but we are quite sure it is an honest one, and, as a good old proverb observes, takes a great many bushels full of earth to bury a truth. But while this self-denying protest has been going on in a few limited circles, how great is the advance that free labor has been making within the last two years? Who is to say whether some of those quiet testimonies may not have contributed to erect that mighty machinery that is now adding to its wheels and springs from day to day, and which bids fair at no distant period to supersede slave labor and its long train of sorrow and oppression? Earnest lectures have just been delivered in Newcastle by our colored friend Dr. M. R. Delaney, lately engaged in a tour of observation in West Africa, where he longs to establish a nourishing colony of his people whose express object shall be to put down the abominable slave trade and to cultivate free cotton and other tropical produce. We wish this brave man every encouragement in his noble enterprise. He has secured the confidence of the African Aid Society in London, one of whose earliest measures has been to assist him with funds. The present secretary of the society is Frederick W. Fitzgerald, 7 Adam Street, Strand, London and who need speak of the zambezi and dr livingstone or of central or eastern africa or of india or of australia or of the prolific west india islands as we prepare this little sheet a kind letter has now come in from stephen bourne for many years a stipendiary magistrate in jamaica and now the ardent promoter of cotton growing company of that island he says to us when writing from london on the nineteenth instant our scheme embraces more than meets the eye, and to illustrate this, I send a map, with prospectus, with a proposed estate, by which you will see that we reckon on obtaining cotton by free labor, by mechanical agency from Jamaica, at a price so far below that which it can now be produced by slave labor, that if we succeed, we shall put an end to the whole system, as no one will be able to afford to carry it on in competition with free labor. Jamaica is much nearer and easier of access for fugitives from Cuba and Puerto Rico than Canada is to Georgia, Virginia, or Louisiana. If, therefore, we can offer them an asylum and profitable employment on the estate, we shall open up a new underground railroad, or rather enable the slaves to escape from Cuba by getting into a boat, and in one night finding their way to freedom. There is no doubt they could do this at much less risk than slaves now incur in order to obtain liberty in, in america the proposed estate in jamaica consists of about one thousand acres and the shares in this company are ten pounds each one pound only to be called immediately the rest by installments the liability is limited full information may be obtained by addressing stephen bourne esq fifty five charing cross london or the secretary of the jamaica cotton growing company c w Stratefield, esq we rejoice to see that this new company is being supported not only by benevolent philanthropists and capitalists in london but by experienced manchester manufacturers among the rest by the excellent thomas clegg so well known for his persevering efforts in west africa and by thomas baisley m p for manchester and the most extensive cotton spinner their mills would alone consume the cotton grown on three such estates as that which it is proposed to cultivate there is abundant room therefore for cultivation of cotton by the emancipated freeholders communications have also reached us from demerara 
charles rattray a valuable scotch missionary in that colony was in england last spring and went back to his adopted country with his mind full fraught with the importance of cotton growing within its borders he happened to have small samples of demerara cotton with him these were shown to be cotton brokers and manufacturers in liverpool and manchester and were pronounced to be most excellent so much so that specimen gins and a supply of cotton seed were kindly presented to him at the latter place before he left england mr wattray is now bringing the subject before his people and is also intending to plant with cotton seed some ground belonging to the mission station but we will not further enlarge commending our cause to him who has promised never to forget the poor and needy and that in his own good time he will arise from their deliverance and break every yoke i remain sincerely and respectfully your friend anna h richardson fifty four westmoreland terrace newcastle on tyne nine month twenty two eighteen sixty p s since writing the above we have seen it stated in the principia a new york paper that william s bailey has been arrested on a charge of publishing an incendiary paper and held to bail in the sum of one thousand dollars to appear before the circuit court in november next it is further stated that one of the two magistrates by whom w s bailey was examined and held to bail on this charge was the chosen leader of the mob that destroyed his type and printing press we have yet to see what will be the end of this cruel conflict let us not desert our suffering friend and his noble-hearted family end of section thirty nine recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida